Thanks to the Ottawa ankle rules, I've always associated ankle injuries with Canada. So if I want to take a look at mechanisms of ankle injury that should give us pause to think, I should probably ask a Canadian. Specifically, let's ask Dr. Rob. So welcome back to the podcast of the Royal New Zealand College of Urgent Care. My name is Guy Melrose and after a, a hiatus that's been too long, it's great to welcome back Dr. Rob, uh, Rob Everson, who's an urgent care physician in Tauranga in the Bay of Plenty, who's been on here before in a little segment we called Ask Dr. Rob. And so finally we've managed to align the stars and, and sit down next to each other again so rob uh, welcome back to the podcast good to see you again guy it's really good to be here again uh it's, you're right it's been too long i really enjoy your podcasts and um, of course we saw each other on the weekend at the uh, registrar skills demonstration weekend uh, where you were i think demonstrating how to do an ankle and foot examination and i was discussing lower limb radiology so i thought you know what better time than to uh, sit down and discuss perhaps ankle injuries Absolutely. It was, a, it was a good little um, uh, meet-up. Uh, we had three of us from the clinic up there um, helping teach the registrars at the weekend, which was good to see, uh, but two of us involved with, with ankles. So why do you think, um, when it comes to an ankle injury, why do you think history um, and the physical exam are, are so important when dealing with this particular injury? Well, I think it just like we wouldn't shortchange a patient with chest pain uh, by taking a poor history. Um, I think it's really important that we uh, take a proper history and physical when, when dealing with ankle injuries. Um, I can't stress enough that we should um, see and examine the patient first before looking at the x-ray uh, because a lot of the answers will be determined uh, from the history. and. One of the things we're looking for, of course, is the mechanism uh, of injury. It's just so crucial to try and tease out that, that, that mechanism as to how it happened. And also to ask questions about the direction of the force that was applied to the ankle at the time of injury. For example, what was the height of the fall? What direction did the foot turn um, you know, it, when, they, when they suffered this ankle injury? And were they able to wait thereafter? And then, of course, just the usual things that we'd ask, things like previous injuries to that particular ankle, relevant medical histories such as immune compromise or diabetes. And I guess throughout all of this, we're looking for red flags. And the red flags of ankle injury are, of course, number one, inability to weight bear. But number two, it's that external rotation. And, and um, a lot of this talk today is based on um, work done by um, a, a Canadian uh, emergency doc named Aaron Sayal. And he basically said that <clears throat> External rotation of the ankle is much like the thunderclap headache of, of, of subarachnoid hemorrhage. You know, when you hear that that foot has been externally rotated, you've got to immediately um, think about uncommon fractures, but commonly missed fractures. And these are things like mesoneuve fractures, 
Taylor fractures. Um, you had a, a demonstration or, or a talk the other day, or last year, I think episode 102, which was on uh, Tilo fractures, which uh, if, if, we, if we recall was, were those ones seen in adolescence, those Salter-Harris three fractures seen in adolescence of the, of the um, where there's an evulsion of that anterolateral tibial epiphysis in, in, in sort of 13-year-old to 15-year-old kids. And, and, and of course, the syndesmosis injury. So yeah, the red flags, um, elicited by mechanism and, uh, and we're certainly looking for that history of external rotation. So yeah, history is important in every aspect of medicine, but you're suspecting maybe in ankles that people gloss over things a little bit too much because, you know, like you say, the thunderclap headache or chest pain is, is on the top of everybody's sort of quick call and ambulance kind of um, tip of their tongue but ankles maybe we're we're not um, as worried about them so there's a tendency particularly when busy to be a little bit uh, short maybe short um, take some shortcuts so a few measured questions in the history definitely make and and reveal the story and reveal the answer before you've even laid hands on somebody um, now you mentioned Canadians there. Um, was that chap that you mentioned anything to do with the Ottawa ankle rules? And being a Canadian, you're, you're able to speak with authority on this for the whole country, I think. <laughs> well, I, th I think that using the Ottawa rules to guide your physical examination is, is a real pitfall. Um, those rules were designed to help us decide who needs an x-ray, and they should only be used after a proper assessment has been completed. Look, on a busy day in the urgent care center in the emergency department where you know, you're onto your 15th ankle injury, it's quite easy to sort of take shortcuts. And, and one of the shortcuts a lot of people take is they look at the x-ray first and then they go back and they, they, they elicit a history from the patient, say, oh, you know, yeah, you've twisted your ankle, not really specific how they did it. Um, they, you notice they're non-weight bearing. You might go in and, and palpate the four areas that the Ottawa ankle rules suggest you should palpate you know, the lateral malleolus, the medial malleolus, the navicular and the fifth metatarsal. And then you look at the x-ray, things look fine, and you diagnose them with a sprain and, and out the door, but, but, but there's more to it. Um, and, and, um, and I think the Ottawa ankle rules are, are, uh, are a value, but they're only a small part of the ankle assessment. And I think the ankle exam really begins uh, at the proximal fibula. So we do have to palpate that proximal fibula and work our way all the way down that fibula looking for any mesonerve injury. We've got to do uh, a squeeze test, um, checking that syndesmosis um, to diagnose you know, our high ankle sprain. We've got to palpate that anterior ankle, feeling that talus bone um, and check, you know, and also the lateral talus bone, um, not only for the TLO fracture, but for the snowboarders fractures, we're going to discuss a little bit later on. So I, I think that um, the Ottawa ankle rules should be used for what they're designed for, um, but they shouldn't replace a proper uh, history and physical examination. I've heard you say before that Ottawa ankle rules are bad to the bone. Exactly, and, and, and I think that's, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? So you mentioned there coming down the... Um, fibula and checking for syndesmosis injury. If we were to take your advice in the beginning of this discussion about the history being important, what history would make you think this person's got a syndesmosis injury that I need to zone in on? Well, certainly if the patient's refusing to put weight, uh, if they're refusing to weight bear, uh, if they've got that anterior ankle pain, and if they've 
had that mechanism of external rotation, often with ankle dorsiflexion, um, you know, that's when we start to think, well, maybe there is this particular injury going on here. Um, the syndesmotic uh, ankle injury patient, they usually are toe walking. Uh, they really don't want to um, put that foot into, into dorsiflexion. So you'll see them just kind of hopping on the, on the tippy toes, if you will. And if we do a squeeze test uh, and can elicit pain, that's 94% um, specific uh, for syndesmosis injury. And that external rotation test where we just let the patient dangle their foot over the side of the bed and we put our hand on the fibula to stabilize it and then externally rotate the foot, so-called Klieger's test. If we do that and the patient's jumping um, with pain, then that's supposed to be 85% specific for syndesmotic injuries. And of course, if we're suspicious, then it's off to x-ray uh, with all three views of the x-ray, including the mortise view. And we're checking that tib-fib clear space and, and seeing if there is any diastasis uh, at that level. And with all of these, if we're suspicious, um, you know, we should splint them non-weight bearing and we should get them off uh, to promptly to fracture clinic where, you know, sometimes three-dimensional imaging is required to, to come up with the, with the um, confirming diagnosis. And you mentioned the squeeze test. That's a squeeze of the proximal tib-fib to elicit yeah. pain at the distal Correct. syndesmosis. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It was interesting, um, at the skills weekend we were just at, um, the orthopedic surgeon who was assisting in my station um, showed that external rotation but was coming at it from a further down the track than the acute setting. So what you described there is great for that acute setting when they're very sore. He was describing it also doing it later on when they're less sore, but they've got the instability still. And um, very similar, but was putting a, maybe a little bit more force than gravity through to, to, to check it. But it's interesting to talk to him about the ones that he misses because he's mopping up the, the people who have an unstable ankle because they've been missed. And maybe they've been missed because you've just skirted over the quick look at the x-ray, you're fine off to physio and the patient maybe doesn't go to physio or takes three weeks to get into physio and um, we're teeing these people up for the wrong outcome by maybe rushing the important bits at the, at the start, uh, as you mentioned. Hmm. Um, I picked up on you saying snowboarders fracture earlier and I think you have an interest in, in snowboarding injuries. Yeah, well, I, you know, certainly it's topical. Um, but essentially a snowboarder's fracture uh, is a fracture um, of the uh, lateral talus. Um, it accounts for about one-third of, of ankle fractures in snowboarders. Um, it's often misdiagnosed as a simple ankle sprain. The mechanism is just what we've been talking about. It's usually seen with external rotation, dorsiflexion, and an axial load on the ankle. It's usually the snowboarder's uh, lead foot. Um, so when they go into that half pipe and they do their big jump down, and they come down hard with that axial load with dorsiflexion and external rotation. And it, some people say that it's the soft boot uh, that is giving the, the snowboarder what amounts to twice the risk of ankle injury compared to the hard boot. Um, I think one of the points I wanted to make here is that, um, uh, and again, Aaron Sayle, he, he, he refers to the talus as the, as the scaphoid bone of the ankle. And, um, you know, just very much like we'd examine a scaphoid bone on initial um, presentation and if we're suspicious there's an injury there and our ankle, our, our scaphoid x-ray is normal, we'd bring that patient back and we'd re-examine them 10 days later and we'd get further imaging if we're still suspicious. This talus bone, very, very similar. Uh, you know, if the x-ray is negative, the patient's non-weight bearing, 
bring those patients back, even consider a CT scan. If they've got anterior ankle pain, they're not weight-bearing, you can't say goodbye. You've got to get, get, get to see them again, have another chance at it. I like that phrase, saying goodbye to the patient. I, I think you have to own them until you're happy that, they're, that you've excluded those things. And we're very used to scaphoids for, well, at least as, as long as, as I've been practicing, everybody's known, got a foosh, scaphoid pain, cast, fracture clinic review. It's, it's been a mantra that people just understand. And yet there isn't that same sort of understanding for some of these other injuries like the, um, the Liz Frank we've, we've um, talked about. Uh, at the weekend but also as you say that the talus injury and so there's nothing wrong particularly if it was a junior like a registrar or, or a less experienced doctor in the clinic to hear that someone's done this injury the x-ray looks okay maybe to them initially but the person's non-weight bearing with a suspicious mechanism there's nothing wrong in being cautious and putting them in a moon boot and you seeing them in a week later for example in a fracture clinic because you're still owning that injury and then you can pick it up a week later you don't want them to send them home with a you've just got a sprain and then yeah. and then and then you lose those ones and that's where the the swiss cheeses line up isn't it and the, and exactly. the problems happen exactly follow-up so important especially in the in the patient who's non-weight bearing where the patients also had an external rotation injury um so just a couple of take-home points um i i think that um do a history and physical um before you uh, look at the x-ray um, look out for red flags, uh, non-weight bearing, external rotation forces. Uh, think about some of those um, uncommon but commonly missed fractures such as the Maisonneuve fractures for which of course we'll try and order appropriate views, um, the syndesmotic injury, the talus fracture, uh, the lateral talus fracture, um, your T-low fractures, and, uh, and remember that the Ottawa ankle rules um, should be used a guide, as a guide for your physical examination, but it doesn't replace a complete physical examination. So perhaps calling them the Ottawa ankle guide, decision guide rather than a rule, because a rule sounds very formal, doesn't it? Yeah. Whereas it, it should be just a, 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 a thing we use, but it isn't gospel. And that's coming from a Canadian. We can take that. <laughs> we, we can take that to the bank. Um, so thanks, Rob. I think it is important, um, and, and it, particularly maybe a junior registrar might think of ankles as that nice, easy exam. You've just seen a chest pain. You've just seen a depressed patient. You've just seen a couple of COVID cases, and you, you, you're just wanting to have that nice, straightforward sort of palate cleanser on a busy shift, and so you think, oh, it's an ankle, and it, there's a tendency to maybe skirt through and think, oh, that was a nice, easy one where I don't engage the brain. But just failing to ask the right question and just be thorough in the exam, you could miss something that down the track leads to problems. So you've just got to be on your on, on point when assessing an ankle. And, and I like your point about not looking at the x-ray, particularly when they're done from triage. It's great that they're there, but um, you, sh you must match the patient to the x-ray and, um, and not immediately cloud your opinion walking in there thinking I've looked at the x-ray it's normal therefore the patient's fine <laughs> because you can have a normal x-ray and have some of these ones that you've mentioned so um, a, a good pearl of wisdom from experience down the track there Rob so thank you for uh, for your time again and we'll get you back to share more pearls soon thanks very much for having me guy
My thanks to Dr. Rob for impressing upon us the importance of taking a careful ankle injury history and applying a focused exam to exclude those easily missed injuries. Check out the show notes for some links for further reading. Now, one little bonus bit of medical etymology to share before I go. I only recently realized that the etymological root for the name ankle is the same as for the word angle. The Proto-Indo-European root ang and ank, both meaning to bend. I thought that was interesting. But we'll be back again next week with another podcast. I look forward to seeing you all then. But for now, thanks for listening. <laughs>